to Architecting. I'm your host, Angela Mazzi. You made it. This is the landing pad for raw honesty about connecting your career with your purpose. I'm going to give you the tools you need to be an unapologetic advocate for yourself and others, because if you're here, you believe that the space we surround ourselves in matters and you're committed to project by project building a better world for all of us. If you're with me, let's get architecting. Hey there, bright lights. It's Angela. And today I wanted to give you a little taste of what I've been doing with my partner, Megan Mazoko in the Architecting Club. If you haven't, you need to download the Clubhouse app. It is something called social audio, which means you form connections much the same way you might on other social media platforms. However, it is all audio content. So it's a great way to learn about a lot of different topics, to make new network connections, and to listen much like you would to a podcast with the added benefit that you can raise your hand and ask a question. This episode is from the 28th of February, which was just a few days from this recording. And while we usually have a guest, this week Megan and I decided to share content about blue urbanism based on a presentation that the two of us did for the Smart Cities Conference in December of 2021. I hope you enjoy it. And if you did, get into Clubhouse and follow the Architecting Club to listen to our room, Architects as Healers, Buildings as Medicine, every Monday. And remember, Clubhouse is not high-fidelity audio. You are using your cell phone. You will hear static. You will hear background noises. You will even hear Megan's dog, Graham, who wanted to join in the fun. I hope that you enjoy the content. I hope that you stop by the Architecting Club, and we can look forward to seeing you in our room. One, two, Architects as Healers, Buildings as Medicine. This is a really special session. I was thinking, Megan, about how we first started doing this was you and I were talking about wellness and design and the issue of what is genetically influencing our health and what's outside factors influence our health. And our very first clubhouse room was called Exposome versus Genome. Do you remember that? Uh, yes, and that is something that I'm still thinking about every day in terms of epigenetics and DNA methylation and reverse aging and quantum health. And also as a well AP, you know, we're, we're always thinking about, you know, the exposome versus the genome and how we can reduce those environmental stressors on our body for better collective health outcomes. Woohoo! It's still, yeah, we're still riding that um, momentum and, and still discovering new strategies put in place on every scale 
And it evolved into deciding to do a regularly scheduled room, which is where all of you are today. So this is Architects as Healers, Buildings as Medicine. You are in the Architecting Club, and Architecting is a community of people who believe the built environment can affect our well-being and want to work towards having a better built world. So we're so happy you're all here. I am co-host Angela Mazzi, the founder of Architecting, and Megan Mazzocco is my co-host. And today we are going to share a byproduct of this work. Um, Megan, I'll let you tell the story of how we came to speak at the Smart City conference as a result of doing this room. Sure, I'm happy to share. This is Megan Mazzocco. I am otherwise known in the design industry as the A&D Yogini reporting from the intersection of place and well-being. And as we're perpetuating this room and continuing to post about it on LinkedIn, some organizer from the Smart Cities Expo Miami, Bernardo Shankman, approached us to spread this kind of idea among city planners and mayors and decision makers across North America who would be converging upon Miami for the Smart Cities Expo Miami in December. So when he asked us to speak at that scale, we decided to evolve our focus to your cities as a blue zone. We had a lot of fun with this. So we we started with this idea of social determinants to health because we know that our health is definitely about more than just our physical health. We know that when we don't have a good, strong social network, when we don't feel safe in our community, when we don't have stable home environment or financial stability or reliable transportation, when we live in a food desert, all of these things can lead to a higher risk of disease. But we took it one step further and said that a lot of those social determinants to health, those are personal things. But then there's Megan's true area of specialty, the external things, the environmental factors that can have a negative impact on our health. And together, these personal and external factors create what's called the exposome, which is the impacts on our lives. And our body has biological responses to these that include everything from how quickly we age, our epigenetics, how much inflammation is in our bodies, which is the root of all disease, how our metabolism works, our gut microbiome, and even gene expression. So what we really started to say as we looked at this was how could we provide more resources to people? And we were talking a little bit about this idea of blue zones, which for those of you who may not be familiar with the term, this actually was coined by a writer for National Geographic who had been doing a study into aging and longevity and looking at lots of data and started noticing that people living into their hundreds were mostly clustered in five different parts of the 
the world. And he started looking at those different areas and how those people were living their lives and what was creating that longevity. It is a bunch of different factors, everything from diet to movement, but some of the things that he also found were strong social purposes and a sense of meaning and value to life regardless of age. So Megan, I'll talk a little bit more about this idea of blue zones and blue urbanism. I am kind of a, uh, a contrast person. So I'd like to start with this quote from Irish poet and philosopher John O'Donohue. Um, he says... Uh, an awful lot of urban planning, particularly for areas, has doubly impoverished the poor by the ugliness which surrounds them. And it's understandable that it's so difficult to reach and sustain gentleness. The ultimate contrast to a blue zone. And I believe that this provocative statement really relates to the shortcomings of urban landscapes and future-proofing cities comes critical to securing uh, quality of life on Earth amid density and amid the need for density, we really have an opportunity to lift up our urban bases through grassroots efforts and policymakers to bring vitality and health and resilience to communities and the citizens of urban areas. So in that vein, in terms of blue zones, I like to focus on, like you said, the external environmental factors. And um, a lot of what we're talking about is air quality, light pollution, noise pollution, and what are some of the remedies that bring to the urban environment, even with constraints like space constraints and density, and some of the simplest solutions come in the form of green spaces and biophilia. So that is one of the characteristics of blue zones is fresh air and the ability to see and uh, and gather in green spaces. So that is uh, something that we talked about bringing cities in the form of green walls when there are spatial constraints. And then on top of that, foliage actually acts as an acoustic um, absorber. So you can dampen some of the noise of the hardscape by just introducing some more foliage. On top of that, plants are a miracle because they are using the sun to transform into energy and oxygen the atmosphere which we breathe. So just having those plants um, nearby is cleaning the air. I really think that a huge example of the success of this concept in practice is a building that was recognized by the Council on Tall Buildings and Urban Habitat as one of the tall building projects of the year. And that is called Boscolo Verticale, and it just means vertical forest. And it's in uh, Porta Nuova Milano in Milan, Italy, and it has the extension of every balcony is actually a huge planter and so trees are planted on all sides of this structure and going all the way up to the top and I don't know if anybody has seen there's a small documentary on it but I would definitely recommend looking to the Boscolo Verticale as an ultimate um, inspiration 
for creating a blue zone and healthy factors within a city that can really trigger the relaxation response on top of cleaning the air, helping with noise pollution, and also helping with with a, even the heat island effect, as a matter of fact, which is a factor of, of climate change. So, um, Angela, I, I know I just put a lot out there. Yeah, and definitely, as anyone is in so-called so inspired, raise your hand by clicking the little hand in a piece of paper at the bottom center of your screen. We'd love to answer questions or hear your thoughts or your insights into all of this. I think this is such an important issue because there have been a good deal of studies. Taylor and Quo especially have um, done several papers that relate urban green space to crime rates and aggression. And they've actually shown that they can reduce aggression in teenage girls in the one study that they did when there was more access to nature. We've also maybe heard of forest bathing, which is a very popular thing to do in Japan, where you go out into a dense forest and just kind of walk around and allow your system to reset as it calibrates to nature instead of all the stressors that can be in an urban environment. I think, Megan, you've put a lot of time into really studying the toxic, toxic effects that bright lights or noise or air pollution can cause. I should reiterate that the World Health Organization has identified air pollution as the number one cause of death in the world. And they have also identified noise pollution as only second to air pollution. And when people, when I tell people that, they're like, what? How can that be? But it's true. So of course, the effects of air pollution, um, a lot of the time are respiratory diseases and asthma and inflammatory conditions just because our bodies are being exposed to environmental toxins, which is really taking energy away from our bodies for DNA methylation, which helps with the positive expression of our genes uh, when we're coming uh, talking about epigenetics. Light pollution has actually been found to be related to certain kinds of cancers. Light pollution during sleeping hours is just not not ideal in any way, shape, or form. And sleep deprivation has actually been considered an epidemic in industrialized countries by the World Health Organization, partly due to noise pollution and light pollution. So it's really great when you have awareness of that as a city planner so that you can mitigate those effects and really protect your citizenship and your community and save the health burdens from society about these long-term chronic diseases. If we address these problems on the city scale, it's amazing how we can contribute to longevity and quality of life. In other words, we're transforming the lifespan into a health span. The lifespan and the life expectancy actually in this country has gone down, I believe, the last three to five years consistently. Even the lifespan, when you look at that, 20% of people's lives are actually spent sick. So 
what we want to do in the built environment is increase health span. So people are living healthfully without the ill effects of their environments on their bodies like you would in a blue zone. Those are some of the effects that we want to precipitate in our cities. Another thing about sleep and the reason the World Health Organization is, is so interested in it and addressing it is because sleep is the number one predictor of health outcomes and not just physical health, but mental health as well. In fact, I met someone this weekend who lives in Jersey City. She is having chronic pain and inflammation and cannot sleep consistently and is constantly being jarred by the noises of a nearby healthcare facility and emergency room receiving area. And she didn't realize that it was when she moved to this particular building that she started having poor health outcomes. It was interesting to see, you know, what happened when we're ignoring these environmental elements uh, that are really wreaking havoc on many, many people's well-being, physical health, and then mental health. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing. And I think we don't realize a lot of this stuff. We've just become inured to it. We just expect a city is bright and busy. And we really don't understand how it is impacting our life. I mean, noise pollution alone, I know, Megan, a lot of your research is it's not only the sleep habits, but it can hinder child development because it can affect hearing and concentration. And it can also cause psychological issues like anxiety. These are very real dangers. These are very real concerns. They disproportionately affect the people who don't have the resources to try to cancel them out, either by getting out of the city or at least creating a better quality home environment with better acoustics or better air filtration, things like that. What do we do about it? I mean, I think by now we've established the case that we do need to think about city design differently, but how? I think it's important that we think about how to reactivate our cities, how to make them spaces that we spend more time physically out in rather than moving through. That creates more attention then to the quality of the space, which you don't really necessarily get when you have just the desire to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible. How can we encourage things like active design, more pedestrian-friendly cities, more community spaces, places to gather people, places to have a rich civic life? How can we create more of those green spaces, whether they occur in the form of planters and street trees, micro forests, which incidentally have been shown to be almost as good as forest bathing to spend time in, but a micro forest takes up a fraction of the space. It may be 200 square feet. Doesn't have to be really big, but it's just densely planted. Having beauty in our environment, water features, thinking about stimulating all five senses in a positive way so that we're experiencing 
nature in the city, not nature versus the city are all really important things to do. We've also talked quite a bit about this idea of the midscape and really cultivating that in design. Megan, this is something I know that is very near and dear to your hearts. What tips would you give about the value of midscapes and how to create them? Sure. Thanks, Angela. I wanted to just go back and say I really appreciate your comment about mobility because mobility in a city and around a city is such a huge accessibility point to this feeling of liberation and freedom and, you know, right to roam, basically. In terms of addressing mobility, what you were leading to is getting away from such a car-centric culture. Because when we are in our cars, we're really separated from one another, and it does not support that strong civic life and the strong social ties and networks that really um, bring meaning and purpose and value and most importantly, a sense of belonging. So midscapes are another place that are an opportunity for a pedestrian-centric civic life or urban area. And I want to just give credit to Eric Olson. He is of TransSolar, which is a renewable energy and mechanical engineering firm. Eric Olson wrote an article in Fast Company about the great mid-doors. And that's his term he coined. And I prefer the midscape because I'm a huge fan of landscape architecture. So I like to bring that into it rather than doors. And anyway, these are kind of adjacencies or unconditioned spaces that may be sheltered from the elements, but not necessarily mechanically controlled in terms of the environment. So you have a higher indoor air quality and you can create green spaces inside, for instance, like Winter Garden, or I think Minneapolis is famous for its skyways. Even in Montreal, I went on a walking tour of this city, but it was basically how, you know, you can use these green spaces and building atriums to kind of flow through the city without being exposed to the elements. And there's features and destinations, civic life along the way, like cafes and shopping and your occasional dry cleaner or sundry shop so that people can really accomplish something on a pedestrian scale, on a renaissance scale. And again, when you have people coming and going at the same times in their routines every day, this is again creating that strong civic life. You're not only introducing green spaces and improving the air quality, the carbon footprint then goes down because the indoor and outdoor areas don't require energy to continue to make them into conditioned spaces. Furthermore, it's bringing people closer to nature, keeping them linked to their environments, and perhaps maybe reminding them that they are part of nature, not apart from nature. In nature, then there's always the opportunity to be restored and renewed and re-energized. Like Angela said, even just from looking at a micro forest 
or a piece of foliage or even studying a leaf and all of its veins and intricacies that really triggers the love of, of nature in the brain and triggers that relaxation response that Ulrich identified many, many years ago in his study of the window of view versus brick wall. I am a huge proponent of mid-door spaces, especially in climates where it's not always easy to get outside in all seasons. Angela, did I forget anything about the mid-doors? No, I think you got it. And I think that that is a key urban intervention. You know, we had talked earlier about streetscape interventions, and those are very important. But this idea of the midscape is something that's maybe less common, maybe less obvious, but that also has a huge benefit because it keeps people outdoors and active. I mean, some people love to exercise. I like to joke that exercise is against my religion. (laughs) The only thing I consciously seek out is yoga, and I don't do yoga for the exercise. I do it for the spiritual practice and the stretching of my body, not for exercise. So my motivations are different. But that was part of what the Blue Zone study revealed was that while movement was a big part of longevity, it wasn't movement because this 102-year-old was working out at the gym every day. It was movement because they were working in their garden or their vineyard or going fishing. So the movement was integrated into their lifestyle. And I think in our modern urbanized and even suburbanized worlds, movement as part of lifestyle has faded. So we have to look for ways to seek it out because it's not easy for most people to maintain a regular exercise regimen and to get the amount of movement that their body really needs worked into their life. So giving them purpose to walk and move and be active just automatically increases their health without it having to be this effort effort that they put in or this scheduled activity. Yes, a lot of people are allergic to exercise and I don't ever say the word uh, to my clients. I call it movement and it could be intentional or it could be, you know, tagged on to what you're already doing. And I believe it was Anne Sussman who was one of our guests and she reminded me that the human body like a man's body is designed to walk 12 miles a day and the female body is designed to walk eight to nine miles a day and when we're not getting that movement the cortisol the stress hormone that is emitted due to disharmony in the brain because of noise or light or mechanical vibration the cortisol builds up the low-level cortisol builds up and is never dissipated. Movement is actually a form of hormesis, which means it's stressing the body just a little bit to dissipate the toxins and bring you back to a healthy level of being. So again, another, it's so simple, right? Just walk around and do your thing and move your body 
and we can lower cortisol, lower stress, and lower chronic long-term inflammation, and it can really contribute to much, much better health outcomes and eliminate a lot of these uh, chronic diseases that are affiliated with inflammatory conditions. Again, another, another thumbs up for mobility. And I think that's another great strategy that I've been seeing in, in some cities is, you know, the bike sharing or the scooter sharing. It does make your range a little bit further, even as a pedestrian. And I think that's what people are looking for. And that's what people need to get out there. Yeah, I think another key thing about the midscape or the active node that it has meaningful civic purpose is it starts to strengthen those social networks because if you pass by the same people every day or walk into the same shops on a regular basis, you get to establish a relationship with the merchants or the other patrons and that starts to add more meaning and more purpose into your life which was another key ingredient of longevity in blue zone areas is that people did not feel old and useless they felt like venerated vital members of the community who still were meaningfully contributing to the well-being of the entire community. So much of city life and certainly suburban life can be anonymous and we fade into the background versus feeling seen, acknowledged, and part of a bigger network, even if these are not your best friends, but just someone would notice if you weren't there. I mean, I remember my uncle very unfortunately passed away suddenly of a heart attack when he was 60, and one of the people that came to his funeral was the cashier at the grocery store because he would take a walk every day, and at the end of his walk, he would go into the grocery store and buy an apple that he would then bring back and eat at his desk. And she knew him and she missed him. And that kind of powerful relationship, we so often edit out of our lives. That is really sweet. And that was my favorite thing about being in Milan is going to bar and tabaki every morning to get our coffee and a chocolate brioche. And we definitely had, you know, a relationship with the proprietors and yeah, they would expect to see us every time. And if we didn't show, they would next time be like, where were you yesterday? (laughs) So it was um, something that I had never experienced in my life growing up in the suburbs and the exurb, which was just a giant sea of multifamily homes with no apparent town center or civic life. And I remember um, Anne saying that was as well the first time that she felt super safe and kind of like belonging to a community was when she lived in Italy. So I really think that it's important to, to realize that Renaissance scale, it contributes to social health and and longevity and yeah the meaningfulness and the and the purposefulness and that sense of of belonging that's a really sweet story and um it brings back good memories 
as we're talking about city as a blue zone, and we've explored quite a few issues here, Megan, what would you say are the top considerations that we want to keep in mind if we would like to be advocates to help our own cities become blue zones? First of all, I would say get involved as leadership. Um, I know there's some people in the room right now who are very active in their community planning as designers and architects and well-being experts. And then also, if you noticed last year at this time, the International Well Building Institute was creating a consumer campaign to bring awareness to the general public about how the built environment can affect long-term health outcomes. So I think the, the way to advocate is to just really continue to educate people and let them know that they have an opportunity to have a considerable effect on people's health. And then also when people begin to realize that they have agency over their own bodies and their own health outcomes, they will advocate for themselves in choosing healthier spaces with better indoor air quality or getting outside or living in spaces um, created to be 10-minute cities where you can work, eat, play, shop, live, and learn all within a reasonable you know, geographic span. Another thing that I was thinking about is when we have, I guess, a tighter-knit community and a better social life um, and civic life and social network, by design, we are looking for these opportunities for joy and interaction and relationship. And when our, our brains are, are usually hardwired for hypervigilance and wired towards negative bias, it's really powerful to be able to create safe, accessible spaces where people just feel very free and very positive about who they're going to see and what they're going to experience in the space. I want to support mobility. I think we should be talking about that just from the benefits of movement and social network and belonging. Another thing is just any way that you can just think about supporting sleep because there's so much tied up in sleep. Again, it's the number one predictor of health outcomes, mental health, and physical health. It's tied into light pollution. So you want to advocate for dark sky and good lighting design. And again, the lighting design will intertwine back with creating safe spaces for civic engagement at dusk and after dark. And then also the noise pollution, which links back to sleep and also the mitigation um, strategies, which link back to bringing more green space and biophilia and getting people into that nature, triggering that relaxation response and causing, you know, better health outcomes. These are so important. We have Michael raised his hand. Welcome. We Great to have you back. Um, what would you like to share with us? Oh, first of all, hello, ladies. It's been too long, Megan, Angela. To see you, Michael. Oh, nice to here. hear you and see you. <laughs> 
Uh, as always, it's just wonderful the content that you provide and the education. I think uh, this morning I was going through my news feed and I saw the update from the UN Intergovernmental uh, Panel on Climate Change and like dire warnings, right? <laughs> that we're pretty much at the brink of the point of no return. And it, it may sound bleak, but we still have the power to affect change. And the work that you're doing, if we amplify it, continue to talk about it, and it continues to spread, then we will be able to do things that essentially most of the environmental stressors that you're talking about, it's because we haven't, a lot of it hinges on on the fact that we haven't taken care of the environment and our planet and it's coming back to bite us right so aside from you know really focusing on nutrient dense foods exercising getting quality sleep like you're talking about it's really the environmental stressors that have a huge impact on our health and the only way uh, to circumvent that or to reverse that is to really start focusing on what can we do to reduce the harmful effects we're having on nature and all of the stuff that you're saying it's so great Uh, we just need to keep keep pushing keep fighting right (laughs) absolutely thank you Michael that actually reminds me of um, Paul Hawkins project drawdown which is the top 50 ways to reduce carbon now and one of the ways I that I like to personalize this kind of big idea to local idea right Uh, what do they say like think globally and act locally. I live in Wakanda and Wakanda means spirit waters because this is Potawatomi land. And one of the the top ways that we can reduce carbon emission now is just to not lose the ancient wisdom of people who were native to the places that we're living now because they were able to live in harmony with nature and not damage it or live off of it in a way that was disrespectful or out of integrity. It was a constant relationship of, you know, give and take and give back. One of the things that you said, Michael, reminded me of of that. And I think that is another huge resource that is being overlooked at this point. And I think one of the organizations that's really bringing a lot of that knowledge into the mainstream is called Bioneers. And the Bioneers have a podcast as well so if anyone who's listening is interested i would say the pioneers is, is a great resource along those lines in terms of carbon drawdown and attaining and preserving ancient wisdom in relationship to living in harmony with the earth and nature and that was brought to my attention by Sonia Bocard. And Michael, I'd like to ask you, in part of your work with the Well Building Institute, do you have some initiatives that you are all rolling out that could help with any of these urban issues? Sure. So primarily the well standard or the building standard has been focused on the commercial sector up until now. But as uh, Megan referred to a little while back, uh, well is working on a home standard 
I think when when that rolls out later this year, I think people will get a little more insight into all the different elements within their home environment that could be affecting their health. And you touched on so many of them, right? Acoustics, there's thermal comfort, air, water, light, movement, community. There's so many aspects. And it's really just like how the body functions in a holistic manner. The home is actually the extension of our bodies in a way and how it affects our health, right? So not only the inputs that we put into our body in the way that we breathe air, the water we consume and the food that we eat, uh, the home environment where we spend the most time is also crucial that we get working together holistically and provide so many great examples of that, adding nature within the home, biophilic elements. And so when Well comes out with their home standard, I think it's gonna create a really, really good benchmark for people to understand better what a holistic, healthy home actually means. Yeah, one of the things I love about the way that Well approaches things is that it's not just about sustainability, but that you get to what things will help the whole person be their best selves in an environment. That is really the heart of this idea of the blue zone is that the environment is promoting the well-being of the majority of people. Therefore, they are of sound mind, body, spirit, emotions, and that they are living their best lives in a supportive community. I think we can all be advocates for that. Um, I know a lot of people in our audience today are well, I'm an architect and I don't do urban planning. How does this affect me? You know, I, I design churches or something like that. But I think we can all be advocates. I think we can all raise awareness. I find when I have worked in communities and talked to neighbors, they know what they don't like. They know what the problems are, but they don't understand the connection between the environment and the things that they're experiencing. And so I think just being willing to go to neighborhood meetings, being willing to maybe volunteer to teach a class at a community development corporation, being willing to go to a city council meeting, you know, get on the agenda, talk to them at a time, but, you know, giving them a little education session and it doesn't have to take long. It could be 20 minutes, but you would be surprised how much the average person does not understand about the power of their environment. The fact that we've gone through a period where people have had more limited mobility and been in one environment, primarily their home, so much, we've certainly seen that it's led to a boom in home remodeling and home improvement. People are beginning to notice their environment. They are beginning to see that it has an effect on them because they're so immersed in one environment that it's harder to ignore the effects of it the way you can when we're moving through multiple very different environments every day. So the time is really right 
right to have this conversation and to raise this awareness and to do what you can to educate those around you. I mean, even neighbors, friends, the person who cuts your hair, anybody you have a chance to have a conversation with, ask them how they feel about where they live. Ask them what they love to do. Ask them how their environment is either helping them do those things or making it harder for them to do those things. And it's, it's really surprising the insights you can gain and the impact that sharing what you know can help. Another thing I really want to make sure that all of you understand is it's easy to say, well, I'm not an expert. If you know even one or two things that the person you're talking to doesn't, you've elevated their consciousness. So that is definitely something we want to encourage you to do in the architecting community. And we really appreciate what you bring and what you do to make our community what it is. So Megan, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Just along the lines of creating awareness and grassroots effort and another place to gather improve air quality, your daily movement, and begin to increase awareness about these things is one thing I forgot to mention was community gardens and urban gardens that can happen in abandoned infill lots that haven't been built on. In Chicago, it's kind of an up-and-coming neighborhood, and two women entrepreneurs started what's called Freight to Plate, It's not necessarily a community garden. They are using a shipping container to hydroponically grow local, you know, microgreen. But the idea is that around it, it is become like a park space. So it's landscaped. The shipping container is painted with a mural by local artists. So you're bringing in green space, you're bringing in art, and you're bringing in beauty. And I think beauty is one of the things that's going to draw people out, really, um, again, also trigger that relaxation response and help people feel the ability to embrace and care for their spaces in the long term. So along those lines, I wanted to say our our guests next week, uh, Elizabeth Moyen and Robert Ferry of Laggy, the Land Art Generator Initiative, are great people um, who bring awareness to renewable energy, art installations that are site-specific designs and engineering and, and builds. So they're going to be talking about their next competition, and that is going to be Mannheim. So they are launching that next week here on Architects as Healers, Buildings as Medicine. So we're super excited to bring art and beauty into the discussion on climate change and sustainability and civic life. Uh, Grace, I see you've come up on stage, so I would love for you to ask a question or make a comment. Thanks for being here. Yeah, hi, hi Megan, um, Angela. Michael and everybody else in the room. My name is Grace. I've not um, been able to catch this this room live that much, actually. Um, and so this is kind of uh, the first time I could kind of hop in here and be in a quiet enough place. But you were talking about Chicago, and I'm not I'm not sure if the 
garden you were talking about was the one, I think, either like a um, little village called El Paseo Community Garden, but they have a mural, they have a community garden, and they do a lot of community activation, and that is grassroots. Um, I'm pretty I'm pretty involved and active in the city of Chicago. I'm not an architect. I'm barely a designer, but I listen and um, help people bring their visions to life and connect them with architects. So that's sort of the space that I live in part of the time during the day. I just thought I'd hop up here and say hello. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. And Grace, I just want to mention, is a community-engaged real estate developer. So she is here because she's leading with compassion and curiosity and learning to ask better questions, which I think is Super great. I really, really appreciate you. And um, thanks again for coming up on stage with your comments. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being part of the community. Remember to follow one another. Remember to click the little green house and join the architecting club so that you get notifications of all our rooms. And I am super pumped for our session next week. This sounds amazing. And I love that they're launching their competition on our show. That's great. It shows that we're continuing to have impact. I just hope everyone will go out there and feel empowered and energized to do what you can to make your city a blue zone. So take care, everyone. Have a great week. Thanks, Angela. Have a great Thank week, you. everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening. You made it all the way to the end of the episode, which means you are committed to making yourself a priority so you can be empowered to do the work you were called to do in the world. How amazing is that? If you would like even more content just like this, please remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. I would so appreciate it if you left an honest review too. Hey, I want you to know I'm here for you beyond the boundaries of this podcast. You can follow me on social media at Architecting Podcast or visit architectingpodcast.com to download some great free resources. Take care, everyone, and stay inspired.